Welcome to Breaking Through. I'm Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I'm bringing you this podcast from the iHeart Breakthrough Radio Studios in Philadelphia. For part two of this very special episode of four inspirational scientists, Dr. Deborah French, Dr. Allison Curry, Dr. Renata Pellegrino da Silva, and Dr. Julia Parrish Morris. In part two, I want to focus on what your advice is to young girls that want to become scientists. Dr. Pellegrino da Silva, you, you mentioned that as a young girl or a young woman that you were intrigued by science. Tell me how you sort of got that spark and how you explored that. And I'd also love to hear about how we all together might help young women and girls who are interested in science. I went to college very young. I would say I was 17. I feel like I was young in, in medical field. It's And the motivation was my father, who had cancer, a very severe cancer. And I was a kid, and I used to take care of him to my mom work, because otherwise we won't be able to treat him. And... The thing is, we lost our home. I know it looks sad, but we lost our home because we couldn't afford a mortgage. And we were in a very sad situation. And my mom said, you must do something to change this in the future. And that came into my brain, and it didn't left me ever. So I was like about 10 years old. And at 17, here I go to college. And I had like scholarships. And I was like, I want to be a scientist because I want to... I want to cure this thing. Obviously, it didn't happen yet. <laughs> but it was my main, uh, obviously, motivation was personal, was family-related. And I have very amazing woman teachers that were ex- excellent and very enthusiastic and coming from a very poor country where science is not really valued. Unfortunately, we had to do everything we could to either treat patients, including paying for their buses to come to the hospital. So that was my reality when I was in the medical school. And, and that's what my motivation was. Let's keep moving because someone has to do something. So that was, that was how I start science. And I'd say to the girls, uh, never give up. Like as, as horrible it is, as horrible sometimes look like, we always have lights, even though it's dark outside. So as stars, so keep going. Keep moving. So you traveled to the U.S. from Brazil, right? Correct. And and how long have you been in the U.S.? Eight years now. Well, I hope some young girls out there, maybe young girls who are homeless like you experienced, maybe young girls who have very difficult situations, and they hear your story and they'll be inspired to say, you know, stick with it and that you had a an, an interest and a spark but a, a real goal in mind. And that's uh, very, very inspiring. Thank you. So, Dr. French, tell me a little bit about what got you at a time probably when science and being a scientist wasn't top of mind for most young girls and women. What got you interested in this field? Yes, what you say is absolutely correct. Um, I started out as a math major in college, but then I took a course in biology and realized that I loved it. So after college, I went to work in a clinical special chemistry laboratory, and my boss was a female who greatly, greatly inspired me. She had a research lab as well, and she had an opening in her research lab, and I joined her lab, and from that moment on, I just loved it. I loved everything that we did, and she totally inspired me to go back to school. So I went back and got my PhD, 
And I have continued in research ever since. And I started out in immunology. And I tell young women that your path, you just don't know where it's going to lead you. And that people that you meet along the way become your mentors. And they inspire you. And you will just follow that path. So from my beginning in immunology to say that I'm now working with pluripotent stem cells, this brand new technology that is so powerful to study human disease, I never, ever would have told anybody that, yes, that's what I'm going to end up doing in my career. And here I am. So for young women as well, I tell them you have a passion follow that passion, don't give up, persevere, persist, and you'll love what you end up doing at the end. That's great advice. Do you ever have the opportunity to mentor young women who are thinking about science as a career? Women who are thinking about science, I have a young daughter, so I am always talking to her about it. She comes into the lab with me. She knows what I'm doing and with her friends as well, and just try to inspire them to uh, let them know how exciting it is, the breakthroughs that are made, the discoveries you could make, and just how incredibly wonderful the whole process is to ultimately help the patient and uh, cure disease. This is what we're all, our goal is to do that. Well, how lucky for your daughter and her friends that they get exposure to a scientist in a lab and get to see a pretty cool mom at work. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. So Dr. Parrish Morris, can you tell me a little bit about what led you to your career and you know how you might inspire young women to choose the same type of career path? Yeah. So like a lot of researchers in autism, I have a family connection. Autism, the most recent estimates are that it affects about one in 56 children in the United States. The way I came to autism research, I guess one way is that I'm just a super nosy person. Um, I just love asking questions and finding out the answers. And it's my most favorite thing and has been since I was really young is figuring things out, solving problems. But I guess another part of the way that I came here was that I was born and raised in Alaska. And I was born and raised in a town that had no roads out. So the only way that you could get to Juneau was either flying in or taking a boat in. And while that was a wonderful way to raise a child in that day and age because, you know, it was very safe, you could just drive and then the road stopped and then it was just forest, it was also the resources that were available there were not that great. So when a family member of mine was younger and wasn't talking and uh, my family was like, what's going on? He's not talking. But then he started talking. He started talking in full sentences and everything was great. But then kind of socially wasn't really sure what to what to do with him, how to help him. And there was nobody in town really who could give that kind of diagnosis. And we didn't have the resources to fly out and go and get this diagnosis in Seattle or somewhere else. So when finally, when he got a diagnosis, everything made sense. Everything made sense. And everything was then something that could be addressed you know, to help him learn how to interact socially and help him learn how to be really successful. And now he is an incredibly successful adult, which is just a huge blessing. But I I think about autism research and I think about accessibility a lot because of that experience. I think about, well, what about kids who aren't right near CHOP? 
or who aren't right near, you know, Cincinnati Children's Hospital or, or, you know, all these great children's hospitals in the country. A lot of times with my research, I think about how I can take my research out of the lab, how I can put it in the community, how I can do it online, how I can do it um, over the telephone because I study language and language is just a signal that people send out into the world. Um, if the more we can capture that and the more we can kind of utilize the full richness of that language signal to help understand children's phenotypes and maybe get some purchase on screening or maybe remote referral to, to different kinds of specialists, then I think the better. So my research goals were really inspired by my family experiences growing up, but then also my desire to help kids who don't have a lot of access to specialty care to get that access. So another great inspiring story for the young girls and women listening that a little girl from Juneau, Alaska with no roads out <laughs> ended up doing research at a world-renowned children's hospital and really making incredible breakthroughs in the area of autism, particularly with girls. So that's an, a really nice story. Dr. Curry, how about you? Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do the work you're doing and how you might inspire young women who are thinking about a career in science? Sure. So I knew I always liked math and science. I think the first time I had an aha moment was how jazzed I was about organic chemistry when everybody around me hated it. <laughs> I didn't fall in love um, with public health for a few more years, but I think one of my most important sources of inspiration when I look back was the fact that I conducted my dissertation research in Denmark at the University of Aarhus. This was the first time that I was actively engaged in research. So I hadn't really known anything about research or researchers before this experience. And I worked in a small institute at the university. We were housed in a residential house. So I worked with four other women, kind of, I think it was in the master bedroom of the house. And I watched for six months how supportive this group of women scientists were with each other how supportive and interested they were in me. We had a kitchen in the residence, and every day we all went down together. Like, there was a bell that rang at noon. We all went down together. We all made lunch together. We sat around the conference room eating the same spread. And everybody talked about their lives, and they asked about my life, and they asked about... I didn't have kids at that point, but they asked about my fiancé. And I really just became inspired by this group of women. And I came back and just had a clear perspective, I think, of how I wanted to integrate my work in life. I didn't know any difference, so I thought that's just the way it was. I was a little disheartened when I realized the U.S. family leave policies were so different than they were in Denmark. But, I mean, to this day, 15 years later, I think about this group of women scientists and how much they supported each other and, and how well they integrated their life and work. And I strive to do that. I think about them when I want to recalibrate my priorities at home and at life. And so I think passing that on to the next generation, I would <laughs> suggest, I would recommend that young women scientists be assertive in what's important to them. I, along the way, had a lot of people tell me what I couldn't do, that I couldn't have children while I was a PhD student. I had two children in my PhD program, including one on my PhD graduation day, that I, it was going to be hard for me to be an independent scientist and have three kids. I started at CHOP when I had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and I was 30 weeks pregnant with my third child. And I just decided that I never for once thought about whether it was going to work. I just decided it was going to work, and my job became to figure out how it was going to work. 
And I did that by asking, you know, figuring out what I needed from my job and from my life and then asking for it. And so I would recommend when you're thinking about a new position or thinking about a new job that you think about what you need to be successful in that position and ask for it. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think there are a lot of myths out there that little girls hear when they're growing up and young women as they're selecting a career choice hear about the inability to raise a family and be a scientist in this case and manage the integration of your family life and your work life. But here are four amazing examples of, of people who are able to have personal lives of any sort and be able to pursue a career where they're having worldwide impact. So I'm really, really glad that you mentioned that to the young girls that might be listening to us today. So each of you have mentioned some challenges, quite a few challenges, in fact, that you've come across and overcome in your career. Is there anything that you can share with us today about an obstacle or challenge that you had to overcome and and what you did to do that? Dr. Curry. Just bouncing off of what I was just saying in terms of being able to integrate my work and personal life, I really like to read a lot of books on how to work smarter. I am pretty pretty obsessed with the issue of working smarter and maximizing my productivity given a finite number of hours. And so I'm currently reading a book called Great at Work, which I love. And I, my whole team is reading it, and we're really we're thinking of it as like a club. And we're going to talk about how we can work as a team to make sure that we're working smarter. But I've really developed over the last few years a core set of principles for myself, which I follow, I subscribe to, and I faithfully follow every day. And that kind of core set of principles has really informed every decision that I make. I've never actually written them down until I was thinking about Can you about, give us an example of yes, at least I one? Four, well, I came up with four right off the top of my head. The, the first, and any colleague that I have will tell you that I do this, is I try to do less better. I know that I'm not the person that can work on eight or ten research projects and feel super successful in all of them. So I choose very selective about, about what I'm involved in, and then I work obsessively in order to make sure that they are as exceptional as they can be. I also, at the end of the day, spend the last five minutes envisioning what the next day is going to look like. So that And that takes a lot of stress off and also lets me able to shut off at the end of the day because I know exactly what's going to happen the next day. And the other thing is that I work really hard to try to gain the trust and respect of my colleagues. And I try to do this every day because I know I'm going to make mistakes Uh, And I know I'm at some point going to, and I already have, inadvertently hurt people's feelings, but I want my colleagues to say, yes, but I know that Allie is fair and I know that she has the best intentions. Well, those are great tips for the audience. I think that I learned something from you as well. And I think if you think about those principles, it might help you get through certain obstacles that come up in your career. Dr. French, tell me about a challenge that you might have overcome. (laughs) And again, all four of you women scientists have already described a really interesting path that something that you've overcome in your career that may help as a lesson for others listening. I would say one of the biggest challenges for me was speaking up for myself. I love to work with people, so I tend to work in teams with collaborators. And I think 
what I would always do is shortchange myself. And I wouldn't speak up for my contributions to the work that was being done. And so in the long run, what ends up happening is uh, it's not that I'm minimalized, but yet in authorships and in grants, you sort of end up getting pushed to the back. And that is something that I think was very difficult for me to sort of tell myself that this is exactly what's happening. And what you have to do is speak up for yourself and say what you've done and how much you have contributed to the work, and only to find that people are very receptive to that. But I know for myself, over my career, I've been in science for over 30 years now, that this has really been a hurdle for me to overcome, but I have overcome it. Well, I can bet that there are so many young girls and women out there listening who probably experience the same thing, get pushed to the back or aren't recognized. And It's really important, as you've just mentioned, to stick up for yourself or be confident and to allow yourself to shine. And it's obviously made you successful as a scientist. Thank you. So Dr. Pellegrino da Silva, tell me, you talked about some amazing obstacles that you've overcome to get where you are in your career. Can you talk about another challenge in your career that you've overcome? Being a not native speaker in a language, being from another country without the same background in a way that our curriculum is not the same as here, obviously. So I had deficiencies that I had to overcome and learn and understand not only the science, but actually understand the English to understand the science. So it was like a lot of like difficulties in the first two years for my PhD here. But I would say that, again, never give up. You have bad days and you have great days. I just can say I'm grateful for all the opportunities I have. But again, I had really bad days, so (laughs) to have these good days. (laughs) You really overcame a lot, the language barrier and being from a different country and not having the academic credentials that other scientists that you were competing against. So definitely an inspiring story. And, And you mentioned luck and gratitude, but boy, you have a lot of grit and a lot of drive and enthusiasm for the work that you're doing. You should feel really proud and again, What a great inspiration for the other young women who are hopefully going to listen to this and say, there's a a path to being a scientist, even if you have to overcome a lot of challenges. Yeah. So Dr. Parrish Morris, tell us a little bit about a challenge that you've overcome, knowing that you've overcome so much to be where you are today. Is there something else you want to tell the audience? Well, I guess I was trying to think about it as everyone else was telling all your inspiring stories about overcoming challenges. I feel like there's a challenge that I'm in the middle of trying to overcome right now. And it's that I just love pretty much everything that comes across my desk. I get really excited about new research ideas, about new research collaborations and possibilities. And so I've been working really hard over the past few years to start narrowing my focus a little bit. So starting to concentrate on the things that I'm really passionate about. And one of the ways that has been incredibly helpful for me that I'm, is, I feel like is helping me overcome this challenge is that I have an incredible mentor who was just assigned to me through my department. And I, at first I was like, oh, I don't need another mentor. I'm fine. But it turns out this woman, she's an established professor. She's been through all of it. And she's not in my department. She's not you know, in in any way invested in my work. And boy, is she just the most amazing mentor. She has helped me focus my research in a way that I had never done before, has really given me a lot of straight talk, which I need. I need like those, 
I need someone to just cut to the chase and tell me when I'm being silly and and like, okay, focus here. And that has been incredibly helpful. And I've really benefited in all the challenges that I've experienced from having really incredible women mentors. That's That has been one of the biggest things is trying to figure out more focus in terms of my research and really utilizing the incredible women mentors that are around to get to be role models and show me how to do it because that's that's huge and I that's why I'm so excited to see all of you in this room because I think that we are the people that people are now looking up to so I'm trying to learn how to be a good mentor I've benefited from these amazing mentors and then I'm really hoping that I can be that amazing mentor you know to the next generation of of women scientists because every single young girl out there you know their brains are just amazing, you know, miraculous. And science would really benefit from more women choosing to go into STEM. Uh, So I'm super excited that I think that the trends are going towards more women choosing to go into science. Well, it sounds like you and your three colleagues here are paying it forward and, you know, taking what you've learned in your career and sharing it not just today, but every day. For me, it's so inspiring to get the opportunity to work with people like the four of you It helps to keep me going and gets me up every day because I want to do the best I can to support your work so that in 10 years we can be beyond where we are today. Well, it's been such a pleasure for me. Again, it's such a pleasure to come to work every day to meet women like you who are scientists and makes my job easier to get up and to stay focused on helping you to make the breakthroughs that you do at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So thank you so much for for being here today. To learn more about CHOP, visit chop.edu giving. At Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, we make breakthroughs every day. I'm Madeline Bell. Thank you for listening.